This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. It's not always about being the best, but it's about making sure that what whatever your promise is, that you're able to translate that into uh, your organization, into behaviors that customers can can align with, can appreciate, and can recognize as delivering on that promise, whatever that is. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. This podcast is all about empowering leaders to achieve sustainable growth by consistently delighting your customers. We give you practical tips, proven frameworks, and share ways to help you delight your customers. Well, I am so excited to have this guest on today. Uh, Kathy Vandelar is a CCXP, and she works at the crossroads of customer experience and organizational development. She is the founder of Early Bridge, which is a bureau focused on mobilizing organizations around the customer. She's a CCXP, which uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is a certified customer experience professional and a fellow board member on the CXPA, the Customer Experience Professional Association, honor and a privilege to work with her. And I want to tell you a little bit about her, but first I want to welcome her to the show. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Yes. It's great to be here. I, I'm just really excited about this. So cool. And uh, our listeners should know that you are, we are connecting. You're in the Netherlands and I'm in Delaware. We are a global organization after all. <laughs> That's right. CXPA. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, um, and so Kathy come, has a really interesting background. So she came from leadership and management positions in, in some of the biggest uh, and well-known consulting firms, KPMG. She worked at IBM, Digitas, and uh, and she has been leading an organization. She was a founder of Early Bridge, which is really a management consulting practice. But it's it connects. It's the intersection between management consulting and customer experience. So everything really you focus on, all your your ideas and your strategy for your clients. Um, end up looking at the customer experience. Tell me how you got from KPMG, IBM, all these big companies into the world of customer experience. Yeah, I always look back on uh, on that period because it was was actually before I got into those companies. Uh, I worked for uh, Digitas in Boston, and this was early in my career. And Digitas uh, was an omni-channel consultancy in a time when that was a a totally unheard of um, approach. So we were advising large companies like AT&T around strategy on how to optimize uh, their customer strategy and customer contact. And because I worked in Boston, I worked with some super smart people where I absolutely uh, grew up and learned a ton. Um, and for me, it was sort of, for it felt like I was at the birthplace of customer experience because it was something where this was the early 90s. And we were thinking about how to, how to sort of develop our proposition for clients. And 
people came up with something called experience-based branding. Hmm. And the, the whole thinking was, it's not about what you say you are, it's about what your customers think you are hmm. and how you are able to deliver um, on your brand promise in a way that customers actually experience that. And that was the idea around experience-based branding, that uh, you implement your brand and you... Um, uh, you position yourself based on the experience that you deliver to customers through your channels. Hmm. And I just love looking back on that because every time I, I do, it just just makes me really proud to be part of that organization at that time. And I, I still have a lot of contacts from people that I worked with. And um, you start to look back and, and realize that you were working with some really revolutionary thinkers, some really forward-thinking people. And that uh, that whole or, that whole organization at that time was also one of the very first digital consultancies started up in '95, called Strategic Interactive Group, and uh, mm. just fantastic memories uh, around that. But that's how I kind of fell into this, uh, and took my consulting experience from Digitas and moved to IBM, where I worked in a um, in in both the North American and European organizations, and ultimately by KPMG, where I worked in world class customer. Uh, contact. Okay. All right. That's so that ended up where I am. That is a stealth background. Um, you yeah. mentioned you mentioned brand. Okay. You mentioned delivering yeah. on the brand promise for yeah. the customers as they experience it. So, what, in your words, why do you think CX is a brand differentiator? I think for the reason I just uh, said as well is that customers determine. how differentiated you are. And I think for that reason, um, it's really easy uh, to talk about what we, what we want to be, what we think we are, or those, those marketing promises that we make, but it's on the other side of the equation, really about how serious are we about investing in making those things come true. And also being just really critical about whether or not we're truly um, delivering on the experiences that we've designed for our clients or for customers. Um, but that's that's why I think it's really the brand differentiator. If you do it well, uh, and it's it's not always about being the best, but it's about making sure that what whatever your promise is, that you're able to translate that into uh, your organization, into behaviors that customers can can align with, can appreciate, and can recognize as delivering on that promise, whatever that is. But it's very important that those those things align what you say and what you do. And and so so that is such a, a good piece of wisdom right there. Is it you know it doesn't really matter what our promise is. Companies work so hard to develop that promise. Like how do what is our promise? What do we stand for? Do all sorts of market research and brand research, and they come up with this fantastic phrase or this fantastic you know statement about their brand promise. They advertise it all over, um, and then there's this this gap between yeah. what they create, what they want. their vision to be for that experience. And then what the reality is, what do you think are some of the main causes of that gap? I, I think it's pretty simple. We just don't do the work. Mm. It's really easy. I I think to work in, in the silos that marketing can continue to think of these fantastic taglines and, and the brand promise. But at the end of the day, if, 
if the brand promise isn't translated into behaviors in your customer contact center, if people don't experience it in your digital solutions, uh, you know, if you look at the Forrester pyramid, pyramid, I use that a lot in helping clients understand you can work at the top in trying to help customers enjoy your uh, your service, your brand, your promise. But if you don't have the basics right, uh, the chances that you're able to actually deliver that in a good way um, they're less than what they could be if you've really aligned on all three levels. And that, that would be the basics, the, the ease, and then the enjoyment. And, and I think that's sometimes um, uh, the, one of the pitfalls is everybody, it's fun to work in experience, but to do it right, you need to get the nitty gritty part of it right as well. It's not just the fun side um, where we have to be focused. And that's all about aligning your operations with your promise and knowing which behaviors will deliver on that, not just in your uh, your customer facing, but also that your digital team is able to think from a customer perspective and not just build what they think is a fantastic app. And then after the fact, start scratching your head thinking, why, why aren't people using it? Yeah. I still run into that quite a bit. Yeah. So would you agree with the statement that, because um, you use the word simple. So simple, but hard to execute sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Simple is sometimes very complex in the execution. Yeah. Yeah. I am so fascinated by your background and actually learned more about your background as you as you shared today. So you have such good perspective of working, you know, both inside an organization and then consulting from multiple organizations in different industries. Um, when you reflect back on your own career. Uh, what do you think from a CX perspective now, what do you think were some of the mountaintops, some of the great, mm-hmm. maybe the greatest success that you can look back and say, yeah, that was something that was a real win? I, it's funny. We were talking about uh, on another point in time, but uh, did a lot of work with Philips uh, back in, in the day. And I think one of the things I look back on, if I'm thinking about um, uh, where we made a big impact and was also very challenging to do was really helping Philips to think about from a customer perspective, what is our strategy? What is our customer promise? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is our what is our engagement with our own people? And how do we get from having a customer promise to actually getting people to act uh, in the in the best interests of our customer? alongside our best interests of our business and understanding that that's okay, that these two things do go hand in hand. Uh, and that was a, a relatively um, long-term project at the time and uh, was very successful. We did some fantastic research work around customers and personas. And I still remember one of the things that um, that was very interesting is that there was a model that was used to, um, to define customer profiles and customer personas. And we analyze that based on actual insights and, uh, and, and data and came up with a segment that had not been identified uh, in that, that model. And hmm. the segment was early adopters, which okay. was for Philips, the, the, the absolute most uh, profitable segment. Okay. Yeah. Because the guy that buys the big TV He's also the guy that buys the newest shaver. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to be able to engage those folks as early as possible with new product launches in the day. But that group was not 
identified, even though we had often the data to know who they were, but we weren't we weren't able to identify that as because we were working with a model because they were working with a model. And then the, re, the reality of it was completely different. A lot of things we were able to confirm. But this segment, I still I remember that being such a an eye opener for everyone because it was a sort of surprise that they missed it. And at the same time, sort of, duh, of course, this is our most important segment. And I just I'm so really proud of the fact that we were able to to identify something like that and then design also a customer strategy around uh, the entire process at that time. This was with uh, um, home appliances back in the day. Yeah. So it, the yeah. idea is to do the research up front to really understand who your customers are and and do some segmentation. Yeah. And use your data, really mm. use your data and not, uh, this was a, I forget which model it was, but uh, one of the models that you can buy at the market on the market huh, to say, these are the customer segments that that everybody has. And to a certain degree, that's true, but your data is more about who your customers are. And, and that's one of the things I often find that uh, is a challenge with organizations is having usable data and understanding what makes it usable. How can you use it? How can you build a, a sport ultimately? Well, let me, let me double click on that one for a minute. So imagine uh, there's a CX a practitioner or even, even a CEO out there who has someone in their organization who I think is an important stakeholder, but uh, there's a suspicion there might be some reluctance or, or uh, lack of support. What advice would you have to, uh, to someone like that to say, hey, how can, I, how can I bring them along and get them on board? I always try to involve them up front that I want to I want to do some co-creation. I've literally sat at a table with a a division head where I was explaining what we were doing and I went in with nothing except mm. my book and I drew everything as if we were thinking of it at that moment in time which of mm. course I had probably 15 versions of that PowerPoint uh, yeah. that I could have used but I drew it. Mm. And he started drawing with me. Mm. And that was very powerful. And to this day, I pitch a lot of projects with brown paper, where I don't go with PowerPoints, I go in with paper, or I use flipovers, and I draw things. Yes. And I hang them up. And the funny thing is, people start taking pictures of your brown paper. And mm. I said, but guys, I'm leaving this. this, this <laughs> you can have it. You can, <laughs> you can keep this. Yeah, you can keep this. And uh, But I would say try to engage them on the front end as a stakeholder who you want to have, want to have them have a say in it, that it's not all fully baked, that mm. there's room for input. And, and I think that's the one thing you want to think it through, and, but you want to give them the opportunity to think it through with you because you can still change, uh, change courses a little bit if you need to or change some things around, but it gives you the chance to understand each other better. Um, and, and not everybody is open to that, but I would say, give it a shot because if, if you, if you're there and you're open and transparent in what you're trying to do and that you really want their input because you want, you want them as a uh, champion or you want them as a sponsor or as somebody who's willing to work with you, uh, in realizing, uh, the goals, uh, but also trying to understand what's, what's their motivation, what, what makes them, how will this help them be successful, and to showcase uh, what it is that they're trying to achieve as a senior leader. 
And I think that those are things that are important is to understand everybody's motivation. How can they shine with your project, with your success? Uh, that it's not just your success, but everybody's who has had a say in that. Um, and then it's a collective win. And I think that's always, um, I'm always very pleased when I'm able to to do that, where everybody thinks that recognizes it as something that is uh, something that came from them, even though we were the facilitators of it often. Let's jointly define the problem, right? So let's kind of this thinking out loud, this, this, you use the brown paper example, uh, but the same principle applies is like invite them, give them an invitation to be part of this discussion. So they become insiders, right? Rather than just bulldozing through and them feeling like outsiders, right? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a really important one because we're often uh, when we're in these situations, or at least I, I recognize this a lot from um, being on the other side of the table as well. People come in and they just are spewing information out of enthusiasm, often, which doesn't leave a lot of room for a dialogue. You are listening to the Delighted Customers podcast. I'm Mark Slayton, your host, and if you're just starting out on your CX journey and need help with a CX strategy, I know it can be tough. Maybe you've been on your journey and just need help getting to the next level. I've walked the walk as a CX practitioner and I know the real world challenges you're facing. I'd love to come alongside you and put our heads together and jointly define the problem that needs solving. Let's have a live conversation. You can reach me at empoweredcx.com. We are back with Kathy Vandelar, the founder of Early Bridge. And, and then the other thing that I think is so important in what you said is like help them be successful. And in order to do that, you first have to understand what matters to them. What are they, what are they hoping to accomplish from where they sit, wherever that is? Um, just, just some really good gems there, Kathy. And it's, it's no surprise to me because you've got all this experience and you've done it in so many different environments. To give that illustration of the brown paper, that's the kind of thing that's going to be sticky. Someone's going to, brown paper, am I? And people, it would be so cool if some point, whether we ever learned of it or not, said, or did, actually took out a sheet of paper, started drawing, and, or a flip chart page, or you call it flip over page, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and actually collaborated with the stakeholder. How cool would that be? It's, uh, yeah, I love doing that because you're standing there with a marker, huh? And sometimes I just walk up and I give the marker to somebody yeah. in the group. Yeah. I said, can you, can you draw that up there for me? And then you start to get this dynamic uh, situation. And I, I absolutely love how that works. I'm getting goosebumps right now because I think of two things. One, the humility involved in that. Here you are sort of the expert in your field, and yet you're willing to give up the marker and if I'm the person with the marker, I'm feeling now part obligation, part honor, yeah. part honor. Wow. This person's willing to like, give me, it's like when someone asks me to pray sometimes I, we're faith's important. And yet it's like, Oh crap, what the heck am I going to say? I don't know what to say. It's a, I don't like being put on the spot, but at the same time, it's like, it's an honor. You know, I'm trying to bless others. So anyway, sorry for that yeah. analogy. No, but I no, but I get that. I get that absolutely. And that I think that's also just trust in that it will all be okay. Yeah. You know, and that the and the the that the atmosphere is one of, you know, um 
Safety. Non-judgmental. Yeah, it's, it's really open. And I only do it with people who I think will feel comfortable standing up. You know what I mean? I won't give it to the guy who's who's been in his job for a year and is sitting there with the two layers of management over his head next to him. I won't do that if I haven't seen that he's able to stand on his own two feet and, and uh, hold the marker and yeah. do something with it. But it, it's very effective in kind of breaking things up and having them feel as though um, it represents that brown paper also represents how they are looking at things. And um, I, I, I absolutely love doing that. I've been doing it for probably eight years. And I sometimes I think, oh, is it, does that not work anymore? But I, I used it about a month ago. And again, it just works fantastic. I just need to mm. stick with, uh, with what I know works. And it works really well for me because I think you have this as well, probably. We've been around long enough that you can kind of float above all of the, you don't have to have it all worked out. You've got enough things to fall back on uh, that you can work with a, a blank brown paper and, and in the moment come up with something really interesting. And you come up with something interesting and, and even almost equally important, maybe more important is you've got, you've got what I call another light bulb. You've got an advocate. Yeah. You've got an advocate. And we, we were just talking about how to bring stakeholders on board. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes such a difference. And uh, um, I, I think that's one of the hardest things with CX is having those champions that stick with you over the long, longer term that don't give up or that aren't fickle uh, when it's, when it's uh, easy and when you really get down to nuts and bolts and, and money. Um, that they're nowhere to be found. And uh, I always try to make sure that people feel uh, part of the solution. And whenever we're doing projects, we work with what we call impact teams. And that's when it's, it's a joint group, people from my team, people from their team, and we meet regularly. That can be weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever the tempo is mm -hmm. that we need um, mm -hmm. to actually make sure that we still are aligned and how would we grade ourselves today? Mm -hmm. Do we give ourselves an A? Do we give ourselves a C? Because if you give me a C, you're giving yourself a C. Uh, but we're in this together. So we shouldn't wait till the end and then review and have everybody say, yeah, wah. I want to know now. I want to know when you start having that feeling. And you should know it for me as well when I start having that feeling. And because we're in it together and we want to make sure we, we come to an end result where everybody can be proud. And that's also that engagement once you get your stakeholders on board, but it's also about demanding their attention <laughs> throughout mm. and not mm. letting them off the hook uh, onto the next big project when this one hasn't even been finished. And it's so tempting to want to get things accomplished that you, you know, you want to take, what do they call that in real, real races, the stick or that, whatever oh, yeah, that, the handoff, huh? the, the handoff. The baton. Yeah. You, you want to just, I'm, I know I can take it across and it's like, well, we need the ownership needs to be with us. You know, yeah. you need to be, have some ownership in this along the way. And yeah. for me to do go, go on my own, do things for two months and then come back and say, okay, it's done. Ooh, you start to lose their buy-in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all right. Well, I love what you talked about uh, the, a while back, which is, the C-suite, you know, and this is a challenge mm -hmm. for CX leaders 
all over is how do you influence? How do you get the support? We talked before about some cases, it's it's actual dollars, budget dollars for, for initiatives. Other cases, it's just, I need, I need your people. So I need you to let your people know that this is important to you. Therefore, it should be important to them, right? So um, you, you, you described this to me, and I, was, I found it very intriguing, um, this idea of disrupting the C-suite. So how did you evolve to this strategy? And can you, can you help share, like define it for us? Sure. Let me let me try. Um, how did we evolve to this? I think out of frustration, mm. <laughs> somewhat. Yeah. Um, um, also, because of feeling a sort of untapped potential in organizations as a result of sort of weak approaches if you know what I mean, uh, too little commitment, not enough mm. real seriousness about making something happen. Um, mm. when, when you recognize as, as a partner, because we, we view ourselves as a partner for our clients, when, when you recognize that there's a lot more possible, they have the big, hairy, ambitious goals, but the actions that, that are attached to it don't come anywhere close to what's necessary to actually break through uh, and achieve those goals. And there's a sort of moment where a frustration where I actually pitched a client on something they didn't ask for because it was the solution that they needed. And we, that was a knockout punch we were one of more parties and I simply stood there and said, but this isn't what you're asking for. Isn't what you need. What you've told me is this is your problem. I recognize this problem because we're a preferred supplier. This is what, this is how that's been limiting your growth from my perspective. Yeah. The last time my, my pitch is this. Mm. And so we would, uh, we actually would win this, uh, go on to win this business, and we pitched the whole project based on leadership as the the catalyst for customer centricity. Because if you don't have a, a mechanism ne- mechanism to get that into your business and to have it be part of the the DNA, uh, you know, I said it's not. It's not about customer centricity as, as skills, which was something that they were thinking we need to train people to be more customer focused. I mean, that's part of it, but it's more about actually embracing the whole idea, embracing the strategy, uh, having ownership for it, uh, getting the room to be able to fill it in in your own way, in your own place in the organization. And so this has been something from several years ago um, that was something I thought at the time you know, this is different than how we normally would pitch things, but it, I felt the need to do it. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit of rambling about that, but it's, 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 we chose that primarily because we know it works. And so we want to challenge the status quo of how people are thinking about their current situation and have that strategy that they have They've developed, they've spent a lot of time investing in, really take hold and get traction. And that requires that they they really take a look at how serious are we and how are we going to make this part of our, our movement? How can we mobilize these 
these people in our organization through leadership to actually get us from strategy to uh, to action and to to change, uh, where ultimately we can get to the business results that are are behind the fact that we've created this strategy. So that's that's a little bit about where that comes from. Um, but I don't know if that answers your question. So it's what I heard is that there has to be an understanding that leadership's support is critical to any success we're going to have as far as changing the experience for the customers. Um, and so this idea, like in the example, the illustration you just gave was the customer was asking for, or the, the client was asking for this particular solution. How would you respond to it? And you're saying, no, actually, um, we see the problem as, maybe we see the problem as similar, but we see a very different solution for it. And here's why. So I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is if someone else wanted formulaically to, I don't even know if that's a word, but if they wanted to use this and apply this, this idea of disrupting the C-suite, you know, what would that, what would that mean? Would they need to, you know, really try first to understand what the problem is and then say, uh, this is what I think you need. Well, especially working from a strategic perspective, huh? understanding the strategy, uh, where are we going in, for example, 2025 or sometimes even 2030 now is on the table. Mm. And these are pretty big changes then if you're talking about 2030. These are our, our core business changes to business models that are, that are also being disrupted because of uh, sustainability issues, diversity Mm-hmm. Um, also, of course, the digital theme, which is really very current, but has a huge impact on business models. And oftentimes, we're still working from digital instead of from disruption. And really, how how serious are we about tackling um, uh, the future, ultimately? And to me, it's about understanding the strategy and really understanding what that strategy is going to require of our people uh, and being making them part of the solution. Um, and that's that's why we cascade often from senior management down to leadership level where uh, where we we call it activation programs, but it's primarily giving mens- giving people the tools and the information uh, to to have them be able to formulate their own thinking around that strategy and what it means to their role and how can they bring that story to their own people. Um, And that disruption is really about reflection, I think. Uh, Also challenging them about senior leadership, about how serious are they now? Mm -hmm. Are they willing uh, to take this step because they're saying this is what they want, but are you really willing to be the role model in this? Are you willing to be part of this uh, to show people how it's done? And are you willing to accept the consequences of the choice? Because as you start to roll out organizational change, not everybody's going to be uh, to be part of it uh, because they aren't able or aren't willing or don't fit the profile for the future. So it's it's about really being brave enough um, to accept those consequences. And I, I had lunch today with somebody who I've, uh, I've known for 15 years, and uh, uh, he's in the automotive industry. It's fascinating because they're dealing with whole new business models, uh, has a fascinating story, uh, and, and he's looking to disrupt the whole thing. And he's saying, you know, if we're first, we're golden, mm. but we need to be first. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a lot of what I try to challenge senior management on is, are you really serious about this? Because if you are, let's go do it. And if you're not, we can still be friends, but then let's let's not pretend that we're going to go do this because it's going to cost us both a lot of time and energy. And if you're not really serious about it, let's uh, let's not start. And that's one of our requirements. They're they're part of any program um, in every phase. Otherwise, we won't do it. And they yeah. have to give that commitment on the front end. Yeah, I love it. So it's like he, here's the strategic goals that you say you wanna you want to accomplish in five years, ten years. How do we get there? And are you willing to make that commitment and sacrifice and do all those things? And I'm gonna I'm gonna disrupt. I'm gonna challenge you on getting from what you say you want to do and where we are today, that future vision, um, and that's a disruption. Yeah, and it's it's sometimes very uncomfortable. Mm. The discussions. Because well, from- uh, people fall by the wayside, uh, grand ideas fall by the wayside, uh, weak spots in uh, strategy uh, are sort of become visible, things mm-hmm. like that. But these are, these are, I think, they're uncomfortable, but they're also very good consequences of having done a rigorous project like this. Uh, it's better to find it out now than uh, suffer the consequences later. But it's, it's not always fun. For everyone. So when when you take these these emotional risks uh, by by being very uh, very, very uh, transparent about how you feel yeah. and what they need, what what kind of response do you get? Surprisingly, um, a, a dialogue often. Okay. Um, it, it's very interesting how uh, how people respond. It and it depends also on. Uh, I have to say. There are certain scenarios which, which are more ripe for this sort of approach, and that can be when there's a new strategy, when there's a new senior leadership, uh, when there's an oncoming reorganization, and people know there needs to be something big. Um, what is sometimes confrontational for these folks is if they've been in this role 10 years, mm. and where they are now is primarily due to the choices that they've made as leaders. Mm. They're part of the problem at that point and not always ready to be part of the solution. Um, and those are confrontational moments some, sometimes for them, not so much in the conversation itself, but starting to recognize and reflect on, indeed, am I ready to let go of something that I saw maybe as my legacy? Yeah. When in fact, we need to move to stay ahead of the competition and to stay current with the trends that are uh, yeah, rolling through the business right now. So those are interesting things. And oftentimes you get a really um, surprised reaction in the sense of, oh, so we're really going to have this conversation, yeah. which, is, which is sometimes <laughs> really nice for them um, because it's not often what you get with these sort of situations you kind of have everybody has a role and everybody plays the role and but we step out of the role and that makes it a different uh, so the conversation is disrupted as well uh in the beginning so you get a more honest conversation if they're willing to have the conversation yeah oh i love i love the concept and i could see why you're so successful and 
in doing it. Um, so I would like to switch gears a little bit and kind of uh, end our conversation today with a question for you about, we've, ta- we've talked a little bit about your career, but was there any specific turning point in your career that changed the trajectory of, well, and it could have been a personal thing that, that helped shift the trajectory of your, of your career and the way you thought about life. Tell, tell, tell me about, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think uh, um, probably after I had my second child, um, I had two children. Um, they're 13 months apart, so I had two children very close together. Mm. Um, children are always, I think, disruption in a good way, uh, but it changes your perspective. And that, that led me also to start my own business. Mm. And that was something that I did uh, partly because I wanted the flexibility Okay. Uh, but also because I had a drive to do it differently than what I had been doing uh, within the consulting framework, which is pretty familiar with uh, for everybody. I think that there's a certain uh, structure structure within large consultancies, and uh, you have to find your way within those constructs. Um, and mm-hmm. I had reached a point where I didn't want to do that anymore. And so that was for me a big step was to start for myself. Um, but that was also the laying the groundwork for where we are now, uh, which is which I'm very proud of. And uh, I, I had within a year, I had two clients, uh, very large clients, uh, which meant that I had to make a decision of whether I was going to just remain a, a, a freelance consultant or if I was going to take the step of actually setting a business in motion. And I decided to set a business in motion. And that's the foundation of Early Bridge, and so those are those are the life life changing moments, uh, business and personal. At that point, came together for me and just created this crossroads that sent me on this trajectory, which I never could have imagined all these years later uh, would have brought me to where we are. What a what a great story! What a great conversation! I think you shared some wisdom and some gems for CX leaders and business leaders in general that uh, I hope I hope the listeners found it of value, as much value as I did. Um, so, Kathy, um, if somebody was interested, I know you're you're based in in the Netherlands um, and you work you work for companies that are mostly in, in that area. But um, I know also you have plenty of contacts in the U.S., um, and our listeners are all it could be anywhere. So if they wanted to get a hold of you, how how might they reach you? Oh, uh, I think there's a couple of easy ways. LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's maybe the easiest. I'm happy to link. Always happy to to spar about ideas, anything, uh, share wisdom. And you can also just uh, mail me at kathy at earlybridge.com or check on the earlybridgewebsite.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. 
Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.